Hi folks and welcome to Jersnet, your independent Rangers podcast, YouTube channel, website and all-round social media empire. Brought to you by Rangers fans and it's for Rangers fans. All your content's absolutely free and we're coming to you in association with Forest Precision Engineering. My name's Alec Anderson, I'll be your host uh, well, this evening. Let's see, we're recording this um, special bonus World Cup pods on the evening of Monday the 12th of December. Uh, 2022. We're going to try and roll it out uh, sometime um, either this evening or first thing tomorrow morning ahead of Argentina playing Croatia in the first of the 2022 World Cup semi-finals because this is the fifth in uh, this special kind of bonus series of podcasts uh, myself and Brian are doing uh, regarding the FIFA World Cup. Um, and I know a few people maybe still have a problem with that. I've certainly I have a bit of a problem with some of the, the coverage uh, of, of the World Cup. You feel you feel slightly guilty, to say the least, sometimes. Um hearing commentators talking about the, the lovely stadiums um as the, the kind of tournament winds down um in kind of uh, infrastructural physical terms, we've only got four teams left, but there's only going to be four games left now. Commentators are starting to say goodbye to the stadiums and the comment and how lovely it's been and what have you. And there's there's no mention basically of the kind of hundreds, nay thousands of people that have actually died building these stadiums. And it's it's all a bit disconcerting for, for the likes of myself. Um, but that's one of these things. We knew sports washing. That's how it works. Uh, Brian and I said at the beginning of the tournament, we know that a World Cup will eventually drag you in. It's so dramatic. Uh, the football is so epic, it's so momentous, the general history of football, that uh, eventually you, you'd almost forget about the, the problems of the, the host nation and the kind of human rights abuses that are going on. I would still urge people uh, to check out Equidem.org, uh, Human Rights Watch, Amnesty International, have a look at their Twitter feeds, have a look at their, their websites. I'm, I'm going to be donating to uh, Equidem.org and give them a pound for every game that I watch at this World Cup. Uh, because they're actually pushing uh, for FIFA to compensate the uh, families of the, the the people who died building these stadiums. Equidem.org, uh, totally reputable. They've 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 been used by the Guardian uh, newspaper and website as a source uh, for the, the the figures that are quoting regarding the human rights abuses going on here. Um, I know it's not very pleasant to talk about, but I, I think it's been brought home to me, Brian. You you remember um, last summer you were watching the Euros yep. last summer? Yeah, right? yeah. Yep. And you remember Denmark against Finland? Yep. Yeah. How can you forget? Yeah. How can you forget? I know. And I think it's quite right. Like ITV's coverage, like I think I'm talking about here, is ITV's coverage uh, for Denmark's first game at this World Cup against Tunisia. Totally focused, a kind of stop all the clocks type um, build up. Totally focused on Christian Eriksen, um, yep. uh, who, as we all know, actually died you know, for a few seconds or a minute or so. He was actually passed away on the pitch. Um, during Denmark's game against Finland at last summer's Euros, and obviously, luckily, you know, miraculously, be brought back, um, brought back to life, basically, uh, and it was in front of our eyes. Um, now, I was going to that tournament. I, there was four games played at Hamden as part of Euro 2020. Um, I had tickets for all four, and then because of COVID, uh, allocations were slashed, so you only, I only got two tickets. One was for the the last sixteen match. We didn't know who that would be, but um, I mean, I was only one ticket for the one of the Scotland games, uh, which is Scotland against the Czech Republic the first game, and it meant for the first time in my life, the only time in my life uh, so far, I finally was getting to see my country um, in a major tournament, in a major finals tournament. I've seen all sorts of football, all sorts of European finals, and what have you, all over the place. But I've never actually seen Scotland in a tournament, and this happened, I think, two days before. And what we're all sitting watching the television, Christian Eriksen. Basically, you saw that the man had had gone to all intents and purposes. It was absolutely sickening, 
I remember, Brian, do you remember the coverage was very much like this should just stop? You know, the tournament yeah. should even yeah. should stop. I remember saying, I remember saying to my wife, I, I, I can't even go to this game now. I can't even go and watch Scotland because it just, it just would seem so inappropriate, you know? Yeah, I think most people were of the view that it was disgraceful that Denmark had to actually finish that game. Um, as well, I think that was something that shocked a lot of people um, in the circumstances around that. I think exactly, know, Aye, that's that it. Didn't, didn't sit right with me or most other people, to be honest. That's it, and it's, we're all kind of calling out, you know, how brutal that was uh, by UEFA. And what I'm really setting up here, in, in a sick sort of way, is just the fact that oh, we're now getting people talking about stadiums where thousands of people have died building them, and there's no mention of it whatsoever. You know, we, I mean, quite rightly, we were all horrified by what happened to Christian Eriksen. It really, it was quite, it was a disturbing thing to watch. Um, we're also thankful that the guy survived and is going to thrive again. Um, Denmark haven't done so well at this, at this tournament, but who really cares when it comes down to somebody's life? And that's the that's that's the point I'm trying to make here in a more general sense. We've actually got thousands of people who who did die, who weren't brought back to life, you know, who weren't resuscitated, um, building the very stadiums that were watching these games. And it does, um, I'm sorry to hark on about this, folks, but uh, it needs to be said, you need to preface um, one of a couple of these pods with this fact of life, a fact of death. It really is a, a lot of horrors going on um, in this the stage in this World Cup. And just really, I like to kind of bear that in mind uh, that we are cognizant of that before we go ahead uh, with these pods because it's kind of like FIFA versus FOMO. You know, it's the horrors of FIFA staging this World Cup in Qatar and uh, almost kind of instigating the deaths of these uh, migrant workers versus the FOMO. They fear they're missing out because we're all football addicts. We all absolutely love it, and the quarterfinals have just been the latest uh, series of epic games that have dragged us all in, had me out my seat, you know, um, cheering, and it's like, as I say, I'm like a lapsed member of Amnesty International, and even I, you know, I'm still forgetting about what's going on um, in the building of these stadiums uh, because the, the football's just grabbed my attention. Um, but we are, but this, the, the World Cup is so many magic moments, so many iconic moments. We've got you know, Diego Maradona goal versus England, and 86, you know, Zidane's headbutt, uh, Gaza's tears, Marco Dardelli's crazed um, kind of celebrations in the 1982 World Cup final, and who of us can forget where we were um, when ahead of USA against Ghana in Natal, the 2014 World Cup. Uh, Co-commentator Robbie Savage noted that Clint Dempsey, the USA captain, wasn't singing the national anthem and, uh, and called him out for it and said, uh, what can a captain he doesn't sing his own national anthem. How's that meant to inspire these trips? And 29 seconds into the match, Clint Dempsey gave the USA the lead um, as they won the game because as everybody else on the planet can see, the guy was absolutely psyched out his nut. Um, and talking of psyched out his nut, Mr. Brian Archer. I'll give you a formal introduction now, Brian. Um, are you as psyched out you're not for the rest of this World Cup as myself? Um, or are you psyched out, psyched out you're not about Michael Beale starting at Rangers? How's things? Um, about both, to be honest. Um, yeah, it's been a good good weekend watching the World Cup and also, you know, Rangers coming back to um, kind of friendly action. That was uh, that was good to see. Uh, a bit like yourself, I just can't turn the World Cup off as much as, you know, we all disagree with everything else surrounding it and the horrors that I've gone on to put it on. You know, I just can't turn it off. Um, you know, going to the TV, watching watching these quarterfinals, probably much like yourself. Um, there's some good games to talk about. And um, yeah, um, looking forward to the semi-finals. Uh, we'll, we'll do a quick bit of Rangers chat. Um, did you watch the? Did, did you get to see the, the game? On, did you go to the game or would you? Um, I watched the first half on the YouTube, um, and then I had to do some Christmas shopping. But I managed to see the first half. Impressed. I think the first half was one to see. It was it was slightly better. 
I was, yeah, there was a noticeable difference in style of play. I know there have been a lot of talk in the build-up to this game. You know, Beale had done a, you know, talked quite a bit in the press and like, the players had talked a bit about his style of play and this front foot football they wanted to play. And I think we saw a good bit of that. I think there was a few things that was really good to see. The coordinated pressing was something that I noticed that we were doing a lot more of. It wasn't just, you know, pressing, one player pressing for the sake of it. We were hunting in packs, if you like. Um, which is great to see. Um, we are playing the ball forward much quicker, much earlier, something that we all kind of complained about under Gio with the, the horseshoe um, nature of his play. But, you know, Bill was back to, you know, just the quicker you can get the ball forward, the better, and we were doing that. I noticed, you know, Tilbin playing it forward much earlier, much quicker. Kamara obviously coming back in, I think it's well documented that Bill likes Glenn Kamara. Um, you know, Tav getting, Tav getting an assist. I think we all know how important a part of the fullbacks played when Beal was kind of implementing the system under Gerald. So it looks like it's a bit more of a kind of switch back to that in terms of the fullbacks getting forward a lot more and playing a bigger role in creating and assisting and hopefully scoring goals as well. Um, so yeah, I mean, plenty of positives. I, I didn't think Leverkusen were great, to be honest. I was kind of disappointed in them. Obviously, I remember playing them from the Europa League run a couple of years ago and they were really good then. Um, and to be honest, I had high hopes for Javier Alonso as a manager. Um, to be honest, I, th- I always thought he would make a really good manager because he always seems quite an intelligent guy in terms of football-wise, but I really wasn't impressed with his team. Now, obviously, they are a good bit behind us in terms of preparation, so maybe they had a fair bit to play in it. So I'll maybe keep an eye on them in the Bundesliga and see how they do. But um, yeah, that'll be interesting, but I wasn't overly impressed with them um, on Saturday. No, I was trying to. I was trying to tell myself that it was us that were making them look bad, but I think there's, there's no doubt about it. They looked a bit leggy. I think Michael Beale even said that himself. Um, that they were. I think it's. I think it's November. They stop, or maybe because of the World Cup, they stopped. Um, same as every every other top flight, they stopped. Um, kind of late on in November, and they don't go back until I think it's mid January because yeah, of the, the yeah. extra bad weather they have in, in Germany. But I, they definitely looked uh, a, a bit slower. But I'm glad that we we kind of took advantage of that. And I'm glad that you have me taken advantage uh, to, uh, this day to kind of slag me off because we did a wee uh, preview of that friendly. I was saying, Michael Beale, it'll be the team that he pits out. That'll be the, the, the team we start with. That'll be the team for the rest of the game because he's going to have to get you know his team sorted for the Hibs game. So there's not going to be one of these friendlies well, there's masses of substitutions at half time, and I was right because we only made seven substitutions at half time. Uh, so you were right on that one, weren't you? Yeah, I think he said in the Friday press conference that he did a sit down with RTV and he said that this was an opportunity to give everyone a chance. And I kind of thought back to the comments that you made, and I thought, oh yeah, I'm probably going to write that. That was a good, a good guess for me. As we always tell folk in this pro, if, if I make a prediction, go and put money on the opposite happening and uh, you'll make an absolute fortune. 100% wrong, <laughs> usually. Um, and I think segue is into the World Cup chat. Um, Borna Barisic, obviously, we're all looking at young Adam Devine. Kind of like, basically, should be like third choice right back and there he is. Uh, first choice left back because of the injury to uh, Redvan, but also uh, because Borna's over there. He played in the last 16 uh, for Croatia. In the World Cup, he's over there on Qatar. He's he's basically a squad member, though he's back on the bench again uh, for the the quarter final against Brazil. But I'm I, I'm pretty sure Borna will be if Croatia go you know two steps further. I'm pretty sure he'd be the only guy to win the World Cup while a Rangers player. We'd like with Stefan Guivarsh, um won ninety eight World Cup and then he joined us shortly afterwards. Um, won it with France and uh, we know Gattuso. You know, he was at Milan, I think, when um, they, they won the European Cup. Sorry, when 
he was at Milan when they won the, the Champions League, aye, but he was also at uh, Milan when Italy won the World Cup in 2006. So he's he's done it after being a Rangers player. But would you be, I, I'm, I'm pretty proud uh, of the, the fact that Borna's got to this stage, kind of representing uh, the Rangers. And that's one thing that's making me kind of hope. Like, I'll, I'll, I'll be really proud if, if Croatia go, go all the way and do it. How, how do you feel about that yourself, mate? Yeah, no, I'll be pretty proud. And also, I'd imagine it's got benefits for Rangers in terms of, I think there's potentially financial benefits in it for Rangers. And I think they get money for players going to the going to the World Cup. I'm not sure how much it is. I don't imagine it would be massive amounts, but, you know, it's better, better than nothing, I guess. Um, so that is always that aspect to consider. But, um, yeah, from a purely kind of fan point of view, it's, it's great to see one of our players reach the latter stages of the World Cup. Um, so hopefully for him, he can go all the way. I mean, it's, it's a bit gutting that Juranovic is actually doing the same uh, with Celtic. I'd be quite, I was quite happy when they put out Japan, you know, and that's that's when that's the yeah. only game Borna played. You know, um, he had his moments. It wasn't it wasn't a brilliant performance, but he was he was kind of safe enough. But I was quite happy when they put Japan out. So that was one Celtic player out. But you know, if Borna wins the World Cup, it means Juranovic wins it as well. But uh, I think that'd be quite a nice thing for for, for Scottish football uh, in general. And I think, obviously, Bonner's a player we've been trying to sell, isn't he? Basically, yeah. he's, gonna, he's, he's on the cusp of going, I think, if, if Ridvan comes through. Uh, so, if he could get a wee game, you know, somewhere between now and the final, um, it would be it would up his value as well. Yeah, hopefully, yeah. Um, I think he's kind of one of those players that if an offer came in that we deemed suitable, then I think Rangers wouldn't be too difficult to deal with. Um, so, hopefully, if he gets, you know, as you say, a game between now and the, and the final, hoping they get there, then it might, you know... Um, up his value a bit. Aye, listen. Um, moving on to the, the World Cup quarterfinals, what we're here to talk about, Brian. Um, Friday, we had uh, two meetings of former winners with former losing finalists. And Saturday, we had uh, a nation in their first ever quarterfinal versus one whose best finish was uh, third in 1966. And Portugal were trying to reach their, their third semi ever. Then the only meeting between two nations who've been champions. Um, that was uh, France and uh, England, two countries that have actually won the World Cup. Um, it was all going to be one way or another epic, but it was. I thought it was absolutely fantastic entertainment. What's your kind of general thoughts? Yeah, I thought it was really good entertainment. Um, overall, against the honest, there were loads of talking points in there, plenty of drama. Um, overall, the games, um, some good football, some some decent goals. Um, yeah, all in all, I think you know the quality levels went up as we went went through the rounds in this World Cup. I think, um, you know, obviously some surprises in there as well with Morocco, which is always good. You always want you know a surprise or two in terms of a team getting to the latter stages that you don't necessarily expect. So that's always a a good thing as well. Um, so yeah, all in all, I've really enjoyed it. It really had a bit of everything, didn't it? You know, just across the space of four games, it was it was fantastic. And that's that's why I'm I'm just doing my own kind of conscious watching because I know you know as as we're talking about the beginning of the the pods, uh, the, the horrors that have gone on getting this World Cup on, but you know there's no denying, you know it's no kind of compensation. But I get totally sucked into the football, especially with the, it's been getting better. I think the last round of group games was phenomenal, mm-hmm. and then you know the the last sixteen was super dramatic. Um, lots of really, lots of really exciting games, and then this just it just upped it a notch again. Um, mm-hmm. I've got to for the quarterfinals. I've got to admit to a kind of a, a, a bias, a bit of nastiness. Back in 1982, when I was 12 years old, there's a lot of whinging old gets my age still going about how much how they fell in love with the, the Brazil team in 1982 and how they were they were gutted um, when Italy came and kind of kind of sorted them out. But I then kind of growing up, eventually it was my kind of uh, early mid 20s when Brazil did win the World Cup in in 94. And after that, I must admit, I've kind of quite. I don't know if it's the you know the kind of over flamboyance, you know. The, the, there's always a lot of kind of uh, guys who are 
you know, very publicly in love with Jesus while making hundreds of money and what have you. I don't know. There's just a kind of, maybe it's the way Nike kind of promote them all over the world while they try to make out they're the kind of the bastions of uh, kind of bohemian football. I don't know, but there's something about Brazil which just became a bit pretentious uh, as I got a bit older. And I've really enjoyed watching them getting knocked out World Cup after World Cup. Um, and that was no different, um, no different than Friday. It was kind of like, like France in the 98 final, um, the 2006 quarter final, they also beat Brazil. You know, the Dutch, Port Elizabeth um, in 2010, Belgium and Kazan, Croatia, and the Education City Stadium, Al-Rayan, a really creepily named uh, stadium because of things that go on in, uh, go on in uh, that part of the world. But they destroyed Brazil's World Cup hopes, dreams and expectations. We kind of half predicted this in the last pod, Brian. Uh, after all the dancing celebrations against South Korea, we thought that was a bit much. But was this result about Brazilian cockiness? Were they overconfident? Or was it more about the Croatian brilliance? I think there was a bit of both. I think, you know, we know that how good Croatia can be. Everyone keeps talking about, you know, before every round, everyone keeps talking about Croatia are going to be tired. Croatia are going to be tired. They never tire. You know, look how Modric can, can do that all day. Um, he's just, you know, a, a real Rolls Royce of a footballer and, and they've got some real quality around them. Um, and Brazil, I don't think they created much. I think they just struggled to break Croatia down. You know, I think they struggled to get their kind of creative players on the ball. I think they've got some fantastic players and um, Vinicius Jr. and, um, you know, Neymar, we know all about Richarlison, but they just struggled to get them into the game. And I think Croatia played their game plan to perfection in terms of, you know, keeping that back door shut and, you know, taking them all the way to uh, penalties. And I kind of thought when it got to penalties that these, you know, stuttering run-ups that we talked about last time, that that was going to do it for them. And I think it did. It just, you know, every time I see a player do one of these stuttering run-ups, it just it fills me with fear. And I think that's what that's what done it for them in the end. It's a cool way to lose it, but I thought um, Croatia were, um, were worthy of the winning for the kind of fight that they showed in terms of they conceded that um, goal to Neymar quite late on. And then they showed the fight to come back and get the equaliser and then, you know, take all the way to penalties. I mean, Neymar, like you say, he scored a brilliant goal. He's like, kind of, he's piling into the box and he's playing one-twos with two different players and he's rounding the goalkeeper and, and slapping it. And even Sosa, the left-back that's that's keeping Borna out of the team, he comes sliding across to cut down the angle and he still has the, the speed of thought to put it into the top corner, to hit it high up into the top corner. It was, like, it was a cracking goal. It was an amazing yeah. goal, but I felt as if, like you said, he didn't do enough. That was That was it. I know. I know. Sometimes yeah. scoring a goal for a winning goal—that's great. You look like you're you're pacing yourself, and you're, you know, you've been really patient. But just looking at him across this World Cup, and you know what he did at the last one, and no play. Do you think? I know he's like he'll be thirty-four when the next World Cup comes around. You know, and we're looking at you know Messi's thirty-five already. You know, Ronaldo of Portugal—he's thirty-seven. But I just get the feeling he's been kind of towing his own entourage. Uh, yeah. For a while, do you think that's it for him? Do you think that's it for Neymar? Is he, is he kind of? I mean, he's, he equaled Pele's records of most goals scored, seventy-seven goals uh, for Brazil, which is amazing when he scored that that goal the other night. But do you think that's him done in terms of World Cups? I think so. I think you know he's been the golden boy of Brazilian football for so long since he was you know sixteen years old at Santos. He was you know everybody knew about him. He was this up and coming kid that you know all this expectation was put on. And then he got the big move to Barcelona. And I think in some ways he's not helped himself in terms of we all know about his personality and kind of what we see of him off the field. I'm not his biggest fan, to be honest. Um, both as a player and, and a person in terms of what we see of his personality. And I think the fact that that whole Brazilian team is built around 
getting the best out of Neymar. I just don't think it helps him as a team. I actually think they've got some phenomenal players um, out with anyone in terms of you've got, you know, Vinicius Junior, they've got Rodrigo, they've got Anthony of Manchester United, they've got Gabriel Jesus, um, Richarlison, they've got some real, real fantastic players there, but it feels like it's all, they all need to kind of almost like, you know, be there for Neymar, they all, they, they all need to carry the piano for Neymar essentially, and actually, I think they're actually some real world-class players in their own right, um, and I think them kind of, Subsuming themselves to, to Neymar is kind of doing the, to the team's detriment a bit. Um, so, I mean, whether or not he'll retire, I guess he'll make that decision, but I don't think he'll be at that same level um, come the next World Cup. And, you know, Brazil have always got the next wonder kid coming through. Um, so, potentially by that time, there's somebody to take his place. But I just think the way the team's built, just to be completely for him, I think doesn't help the team overall and, and he doesn't really do enough to kind of justify that at times when you look at Argentina and Messi it's about the same but Messi's still got that real star quality where just in the blink of an eye he can he can produce the magic and, and win them a game as I've seen in this World Cup and I don't think Neymar's quite quite got that I think what happens with me you end up reading too much into stuff sometimes because I, I totally agree with you um, and I think sometimes, you know, kind of confirmation bias, you look for stuff that backs that up. But it was at the end of that game against uh, the Koreans. And, and by the way, I, I think it's 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 kind of been argued by a few people that, you know, it could be kind of xenophobia or even racism to have a problem with the, the Brazilians uh, doing all their dancing after the goals against uh, South Korea. But that's that's not what we were talking about the other night. And you you didn't have a problem with it at all, quite rightly. Um, I wasn't, a, I'm always, I'm up for a bit of, I'm up for a bit of madness. I love it. I love a bit of entertainment. But it was just, I just felt as if, they were getting too far ahead of themselves in terms of concentration, in terms of yeah. focus for the tournament. Um, and this stuff you see, like Neymar coming on late, he came on late for one of the games in the group stage. He did, yeah. You know, yeah. Like, for the second half. He, he came down the tunnel yeah. and they had to wait. He was still tying up his laces and they kicked off for the second half kind of thing. And then he brought out that banner for Pele after yeah. the South Korea game, a couple of them. Um, and I'm not saying the guy should be... I, I, I don't know how you're supposed to look when you bring out a banner for... A football hero from your country who's you know seriously ill and you're hoping he's okay, uh, but there just was a kind of a kind of miserable look about him. There was something weird going on there, and he lo- he has the look, the kind of demeanor of a bit of a bully, and it looks like everybody's kind of running yeah. after him, and he's not yeah. good enough to, to to justify that. You know, I mean, he's good enough to be you know <laughs> in most teams in the world. You know, uh, we'd love to have him playing for Scotland or for Rangers, but it's just one of the things you're thinking. I, I, he's not like you say, especially Messi, who's you know good five years older, four or five years older. The way he's been doing things at this World Cup, he has been leading Argentina. He has yeah. been the difference yeah. uh, in their games, and just uh, I'm kind of disappointed because it'd be entertaining to watch Neymar uh, at his best. But I think we we'll have to talk about uh, Croatia as well because the goal Neymar scored came just after Brozovic, or well, deep into um, extra time here. Uh, Brozovic had, had, had missed a, a a good chance for them. Uh, he kind of sclaffed it over the bar. They weren't making many chances at that point. Um, but then you just realised when they come back, when they equalise, and then it goes to penalties and they win, it's six straight knockout games in the last two World Cup finals. Um, Croatia have gone behind in every one of them, but the only one they've lost was the 2018 World Cup final. Is that, I mean, they set out their stall the first 20, 30 minutes. They really went at Brazil. You know, and fair play, Juranovic, Celtic, he was he was fantastic against, against them. Um, they really kind of said, look, we're not here to be any pushovers. And then they went back 
um, into their shell a bit, but they were defending deep, and it was like it was kind of controlled. They knew they were going to have to take a pounding for Brazil. And you, so this thing where they constantly go, I think they went, they went one down after like a minute, I think, to Denmark in the last sixteen of the last World Cup, and still won it, you know, on penalties. So is it the kind of craziest or the kind of ballsiest or the kind of weirdest game management that Croatia have got? I think they've definitely got that kind of will they win, will they know that if they go one behind, you know, they don't panic, they don't, you know, they don't start hitting along or changing up their game plan. They just know that they keep doing what they're doing. The chances will come and they'll take them and they've got the quality of players on the park to do that. You know, we've seen, I'm sure we'll talk about Portugal and, and Morocco. Um, but Portugal sort of panicked a bit when they went one down quite early on I thought they panicked but Croatia don't do that they just kind of they're quite calm and just are quite prepared to just you know play their own game and they, they'll get confidence in their team that they know that the chances will come and inevitably they'll take one of them to at least get it to extra time and, and that's what they did they left it late but the chance came they took it and I think they would have had confidence that if they could get it to penalties they would they would win um, and that's that's how it ended up being um, but you know it's, it's also a good trait to have that kind of you know ability to come come from behind it's not something you want to be doing too often um, but I think it's a good trait to have it's something they've obviously got a lot of experience in doing and something that will stand them in good stead I mean they what the what did they do in the group stage it was only Canada that they scored against when I mean, they beat Canada 4-1 but it was two 0 nils and the other two games yeah. So, and then they go, it's like, and you know, they go down to Japan as well. They've come back and won that in penalties. It's like, I'm not scoring a lot of goals. It's almost like they're, you know, kind of spreading it out, you know, what, what kind yeah. of good points they've got and making them making it really work for them uh, across yeah, the tournament. They're definitely missing a kind of clear, you know, number nine goal scorer type. Tony mm-hmm. Ochoa, for example. Um, but they seem to be making up for that by getting, getting goals out of other players around the rest of the team. Aye. Um, Aye, big, big, uh, big Tony goals must be sitting at home watching that, thinking I'd have put that away. You know, I'd be, you, I'm, yeah. I'm what you need. You know what I mean? Yeah. But uh, no, we, we've, we've got him. He's playing for us just now. And that one, you can just keep focused on that. Um, the thing, the thing I love about Croatia, and why it's not just a case I, I, I don't particularly like Brazil, but uh, I really enjoy Croatia because they've got a population of three point four million. We've got a lot of chat about this recently. In Scotland, population of five million, and it, one of the things that it proves to me that Scotland have got zero excuse for never having got past the first round. Uh, of any finals tournament, or it's going to be what 20, 28 years, you know, since we've qualified. If we get to the next World Cup, it'll be 28 years since we've even qualified for the finals of a World Cup. And this is a this is like a 32 team uh, World Cup we've had. Um, how do you feel about Scotland, Brian? Does, it, does that annoy you in the same way? Do you actually care about Scotland, you know, the international team that much? And the likes of Denmark, Uruguay, Croatia, all doing so well in major tournaments. Um, like, I mean, like Uruguay have, have won a couple of World Cups and they've got a phenomenal record. Does that make you angry or kind of ashamed about Scotland where the first ever international match uh, was played? Um, to be honest, it's made me think, certainly over this tournament, we've seen you know the smaller nations do so well. It has made me think and kind of ask the question of money of you know what was Scotland? It's just why can we not get to these these tournaments and you know maybe get out of the group? You know, I've, I've never seen Scotland at a World Cup in, in my lifetime. Um, so it would be nice to see them there. It would be be nice to kind of just get that buzz about the the country and just kind of feel that. I think there was a bit of buzz last summer when we got to the Euros and I kind of enjoyed that. I'll be honest, I'm not, you know, the massive, the biggest Scotland fan. Um, I like to see them doing well. I always like to see them get to get to tournaments. But maybe that's one of the reasons why I'm not the, the biggest Scotland fan because I've not had that experience of following them at a tournament and kind of 
feeling that kind of passionate um, way about them. Um, but it would be nice to see them see them get to a World Cup. Um, and like you say, when you've got you know nations like Croatia with um, kind of smaller populations and Scotland getting to these tournaments and getting to the last stages of it, it does make you ask the question of, you know, why can't we be at least getting there and then getting out of the group? What's the what's the reason behind it? You know, we've had countless studies by various professionals and professors asking this question as to why, you know, we don't bring through the same talent as Croatia, you know, why we don't bring through like a Modric's and these types of players. And um, I'm sure you could probably do a whole podcast on it, but um, it would be nice to to just see us starting to get to these World Cups and then starting to, you know, see if we can get out of a group stage and kind of progress a bit further. I think, I think even like, there's, there's a lot of... Rangers fans and Celtic fans um, are kind of like, oh, I don't support the national team or Scotland. And I think they try to make out that Scotland is anti-Rangers or anti-Celtic. Yeah. And, and it is to a certain I've been uh, Scotland games and, and both sides are getting it. You know, In fact, the last couple of games I went to, we had the, the, the minute silence for the Queen uh, getting booed through and the game against the Ukraine. And then the next game was against the Republic of Ireland. So we had that, you know, the Republic of Ireland national anthem getting booed as well. So it was like, it's almost like equal opportunities um, and I think that's as close as you get in, in football to everybody coming together. No, we'll all hate, we'll all hate we're different uh, different things together, you know. And that's, but I, I, I see it. I'm all. It's weird. I'm kind of against patriotism in general, but I love, you know, I, I would just love to see Scotland doing so. That's when it really gets to me. Is if you're looking at the Scotland national team, just been absolutely, you know, just terrible. And this idea that the SFA used to tell us, I remember when we were qualifying for like five consecutive, you know, World Cups. Uh, kind of seventies into eighties and nineties, and that, and the SFA would tell us, well, we're, we're doing quite well just to get there, you know, because considering the size of the the population. But I mean, Uruguay, they've got I think three point eight million. They've won the thing twice, yeah. you know, and been to about another three semi-finals. You know, it's it's not about the size of the you know, it's like well, added a bit, no, about the size of the man in the fight. It's the size of the fight in the man, and it's not not about the population. It's about you know how much you love it. And I I, I actually look at the All Blacks, New Zealand, and the rugby. And that's another tiny nation, um, New Zealand. It's you know a lot of places named after Scotland, the Scottish places, and in New Zealand, there's quite a high rates of depression there as well. And they just they have one sport that they're absolutely insane about, and that's uh, rugby, rugby union. And they've they've made themselves the best in the world at it. I just don't see why we can't do the same. And it really, I get a strange kind of half angry but half encouraged when the likes of Croatia are doing this, you know, on the cusp yeah. of getting to their their second consecutive. Uh, World Cup finals. That's enough uh, lecturing from me, my kind of uh, bet noir. We have to look at this. Uh, the, the other uh, quarterfinal on Friday, absolutely sensational. Uh, the Netherlands against Argentina. Um, Croatia kind of dominated the first 20 minutes against Brazil to set the tone of the game. But Argentina uh, went the other way about. They seemed to sit back for the first kind of half hour uh, against the Netherlands. And I think we we're talking about how the Argentina would be done with the athleticism of a team like uh, the Dutch, but then you get like Acuna, he kind of does Denzel Dumfries, Denzel Dumfries twice. He kind of wrecks him. I think it was the first half. He actually, he, he a real sly kind of foul on him that kind of uh, disables uh, Dumfries for a while because he's a kind of roving fullback for the for the Dutch. And then later on, he kind of cons him for the, the penalty for for Argentina's second goal. Uh, it looks like let's put Argentina two up. It looks like you know the Saudi Arabia defeat they had in the first game is years away, years ago, you know, and they're back to being the team that won the Copa America. How good are Argentina looking, uh, Brian? Do you think they're going to win it? I think they're coming into form just at the right time. I think they're, they're finding that balance 
with Messi, I think in previous tournaments it's felt like Messi's had the weight of the world on his shoulders. This time it feels like he's actually enjoying his football. He's found his place in the team. He's the leader of the team. He doesn't have to charge after every ball. He's kind of mastered that conserving energy. We spoke about it last time where he just kind of walks about the pitch when he's not got the ball, but he's actually like scanning for the best areas to be in when possession turns over. And he seems to have mastered that and the rest of the team's kind of built to around that and to kind of facilitate that for him. Um, and they're definitely they're definitely getting the best out of them and the way that Brazil didn't get the best out of Neymar I thought um, and yeah they're definitely coming into form at the right time so it wouldn't, it wouldn't shock me to see to see them with the trophy and I, I'd quite like to see Messi do it just to kind of cement himself as you know really you know the greatest to me um, certainly in, of my generation anyway I already think he's the greatest um, and all kind of People older than me might say Maradona or even, even Pele, and so people say Ronaldo for me it's Messi. And I think if he was to win the World Cup, that's him got everything that he could possibly win, and that would just cement his place as, as the greatest. Um, and it, it wouldn't surprise me, and, it, and also it wouldn't surprise me if he's scoring the winning goal in the final, it would just be such a messy thing to do. I know, and I think it's getting to the stage. I mean, that. Again, going to this tournament, I'm like, oh, Messi, you know, he's he's been taking money for Qatar, you know, through Barcelona and then through PSG. And he's he's doing his adverts for Saudi Arabia, who I think have like beheaded 132 people this year, the, the Saudi state. And I'm doing that thing. I was like, I don't really want it. But the minute I see him playing football, you're just totally, I hope this guy wins the World Cup, you know. And I thought, you're exactly right. You were saying this the other night, mate, in my previous pod about how he's been pacing himself. He's, he knows what age he is, you know, and he's been timing it. Um, but it's not, as, was, as we're saying earlier, it's no Neymar, it's no even Cristiano Ronaldo. He's not a bit part player, despite being like 34, 35. He's, <laughs> that ball, the, the little burst of speed, and then the ball through to Molina uh, for the first goal, it's absolutely sensational. And then he's, you know, even getting into the off field, he's, he's scoring the penalty under amazing pressure, and then it goes to penalties. You know, they can, they can almost throw it away, Argentina, and He's, he's standing up like a captain. Neymar was going to take the fifth penalty for Brazil. Never got yeah. that. Never got yeah. that far. Messi's just like, I'll take the first one. I'm the captain. Bang, there you go. Um, put them in the lead uh, in, in the shootout. He was absolutely sensational. Um, do you think he looks like, he's, is he actually going to drag them to this final kind of single-handedly? And uh, did you also, I noticed his off-field kind of performance. He was getting into a bit of antics. He's the quiet guy, Messi. He's a quiet guy compared to Ronaldo and that big thing. You know, Ronaldo's a kind of mouthy, kind of um, aggressive one, whereas Messi's known as being a quiet guy, keeps himself to himself. But he was getting right in the face of Louis van Gaal and taunting the Dutch players and what have you. Do you think that's a sign um, that he's super up for it? He knows this, this is his moment. Yeah, I think I think that's a sign of his... He's comfortable in his own skin at the minute. He's he's very comfortable of where he is in this Argentina team. And that's not always been the case. We've seen he's he's retired previously when he's not been going well and there's always been kind of rumours of rifts in the camp with other players and stuff. I think this time he's he's finally kind of comfortable with his status in that Argentina squad and he's kind of and that's how he's kind of showed leadership is he's been he's been that wee bit aggressive and kind of getting the other players up for it. And I kind of like that wee bit of needle that, that was in that game against the uh, the Netherlands, there was definitely a, a good bit of needle in there, which I always like. Um, and I think that image of him when he scored the penalty and the shootout when he just stood there with his arm like stretched as if, yeah, this is what I do. Kind of similar to Cantona. I remember the image of Cantona doing the same after he scored the free kick. And for me, that was kind of what it reminded me of. And I think if he does go on and lift the trophy, that could be 
the kind of lasting image of this World Cup is just Messi standing there with his arms outstretched. Kind of, this is what I do. This is, you know, this is my tournament. Absolutely, but I, ITV. We've got to mention the Dutch because I mean they they look dead and buried in that game. You know, up until about the kind of eightieth minute. Um, but as ITV mentioned in their game last week against the USA, that the Dutch hadn't lost a, a game at the World Cup finals by more than a single goal since uh, the 78 final when, when Argentina beat them 3 1 in Buenos Aires you know, after extra time. And the Dutch nearly won that with the, the last kick of the ball uh, in the nine, in the in the kind of 90 minutes. Um, Bout Veghurst comes on as a sub, with like a little over kind of 12 minutes to go. Cracking header, you know that the ball into the box is just as you know for the, for the big guy to head in the back of the net is a is a thing in this World Cup. But uh, that was a a cracking version of that goal. It was a, a lovely header from him. But then we twelve minutes. Uh, then was it hundred and first minute or something? <laughs> Injury time. The the free kick, uh, absolutely for the Coupe Miners. The the lovely kind of just flat free kick right into his feet, where he turns round and uh, sweeps it in. Absolutely sensational. And did you think, did you feel sorry for them? Or did you think it was their own fault for kind of leaving it too late? I didn't feel sorry for them. I felt sorry for Van Hal. I think we all knew kind of his health situation kind of this time. And I really wanted them to do well for him. And I thought that might give them the extra spark to go on and, you know, get to a final or even win it, um, just to do it for him. Um, and I thought when they scored that free kick, I mean, the I don't really know what to call it, the, the balls to even try that and the kind of, you know, in that late in the game, imagine if that hadn't come off. Imagine if that was, you know, Angels in it, in Seville, and they tried something like that and it hadn't come off. Imagine the fume <laughs> on Twitter. But you know, they just went, "No, we're trying this," and um, and it came off. And I thought, I thought when that when that came off, I thought, right, that it's it's got to be nails. It's it's um, you know, they've got to win this now after that. But um, I think Argentina were just a bit too efficient for them in the in the penalties and I've got to give a shout out to the Argentinian goalkeeper. He seems to be, you know, taking a page out of Alan McGregor's book in terms of the penalty saving. He's uh, ah. he's he's pretty um, pretty good at that. Um, oh, it was, uh, they weren't just ordinary saves, but it was, it, the first two saves weren't just about the players, the, the, the uh, Dutch players not hitting the ball correctly. They were well struck penalties. Yeah, I thought they were all pretty good penalties, but Aye. you know, fair play to the keeper. He you know he made some cracking saves. Proper save. Did you think he was in any danger of uh, taking the celebrations too far? Because he was he was getting really psyched up. He was really getting the crowd going and all that. And it's thinking, you know, and then an Argentinian uh, one of his teammates misses a penalty. You think is he taking that too far, or do you think that's part of like uh, like Messi standing there as you were saying, you know, kind of kind of uh, milking it? Was that a part of outsiking the Dutch? When Argentina missed their penalty, I thought, oh wait a minute, he might have um, he might have been celebrating a bit too soon there. But um, I think. To go, I think potentially that actually helped them get over the line and possibly put a bit of doubt in the in the Dutch players' minds because I noticed the players on the halfway line they were sort of doing the same as well in terms of you know giving it to the fans and stuff, um, as well as uh, Martinez doing it. So I, I wonder if that just kind of helped the Argentinian players and put a bit of doubt in the Dutch players' minds as well. I'm going to have to go back to Messi. I'm going to have to talk about him just one more time, mate, because uh, this this is I think that. Part of it is it's no I'm, I'm part of any Messi fan club or whatever. Particularly, you know, obviously I think he's just an amazing footballer. He's he, nobody, nobody who likes the game can deny that. Yeah, but this is a guy who you know accused Rangers of a of anti football, which is uh, you know it's an Argentinian expression, anti football. Um, he knows exactly how wrong he was uh, to say anti football was something that 
Estudiantes de la Plata did in the kind of late 60s and early 70s that involved them like keeping darn needles in the fold of their socks and you know stabbing players on the park with them and uh, finding out about players you know kind of injury history and targeting them uh, in the park so it you know us just kind of marking well and being a bit defensive for a good nil-nil was is, uh, is, was hardly anti-football but yet here I am just totally forgiving a young guy for saying a stupid thing and I just get caught up in it I'm, I'm, I'm wanting them I want him to win this World Cup, but the thing is, he's actually done everything else except win a World Cup now. He's getting yeah. to that stage. Yeah. He, he won like the Youth World Cup. He's won the, the Olympics. You know, he's done everything in the club game. He's won more Ballon d'Or than anybody else. He's, I think, other people have scored in more Champions League finals and have won more Champions League medals, but not many. Um, and he's won everything, but you know, Barcelona domestically and, and, and PSG, but. I saw him the other night. And I couldn't help noticing it was a World Cup quarter final, and he got away with a he got away with a handball. Yeah, and I'm thinking that's a wee tiny. It was in the middle of the park and what have you. And he got booked later on, so technically it did stop him getting sent off. And you're thinking that's a wee hand of God moment. That's his little yeah. version of Diego. And then even in the '86 final, Argentina were two nothing up against the Germans. The Germans come back to two each in that game, and Rudy Voller celebrated with a knee slide exactly the same way that Veghorst did when he equalised uh, on Friday night. And Argentina that night, uh, in that game in 86, man, I don't want to put Burashaga through and they, and, they, and they won the game uh, in the 90 minutes. But Argentina come right back at them in extra time. Um, renewed belief. They were unlucky not to win it in extra time. And then Messi steps up, takes a penalty. Are we getting to the stage where even if he doesn't actually win this World Cup, is he going to be remembered now? People will start thinking, yeah, a semi-final, a losing final, you want to Copa America, Olympics, everything else, this guy is the greatest. Or is it all just serving to emphasise he's not done it? He's not done the ultimate. You know? I think you'll always get your two camps. The ones that think he's the greatest, and whether he wins this or not, you'll always get ones that think he's the greatest. For me, it probably won't change my opinion of him, I think. Just because he's the one that I've seen the most of in terms of I grew up when he was when he was in his absolute peak at Barcelona. That's you know, I've never seen anything like it. I don't think we will never see anything like it in terms of, you know, the sheer numbers that he was posting in terms of goals and assists and the skill that, you know, when he single handedly tore Arsenal apart in the Champions League, that that game alone is one that stands out for me. Um, so for me, he'll he'll be the greatest whether he wins or not. But then I think you'll always get your kind of older generation that's seen Maradona. Um, that will think he probably has to win a World Cup just to cement himself um, as the greatest. Um, I hope he does it because I think it would be a fitting way um, for him to just cement his place as as the greatest. Um, so yeah, and I, and I can totally see him doing it. I think it'd be you know the most messy thing ever for him to lead his team to the final and score the winning goal in the final, and then you see him lifting the the trophy at the end of it. I was even got an old man like me hoping something like that happens. Um, so uh, he's definitely, uh, I think that's that. I think that's definitely the case. We we, we always kind of need to see him winning it just to, to kind of justify it. Jonathan Pierce, uh, BBC commentator the other night. I don't think he recognised uh, Jorge Valdano, who was sitting in. The, they're doing the close ups of the the personalities, uh, the, the ex players sitting in these kind of creepy white leather seats they've got up in the stands there in these stadiums. Um, and Jorge Valdano scored in the nineteen eighty six uh, World Cup final, which which uh, Argentina won. Um, and you're thinking he didn't. I think he won maybe two UEFA Cups, Valdano, and a lot of La Liga's cracking players. Um, but nothing like the achievements of Messi and every other as- aspect of his game. But he won the World Cup with Argentina, yeah. and he scored in the final. And to me, that makes him like an immortal, you know. But is yeah. it fair? 
is it fair that um, players are getting judged? Because with your national team, obviously, like maybe George Best is the greatest example. You can be one of the greatest players of all time, but if the rest of your national team isn't as good, you know, and Northern Ireland always really decent players, but they were never they, they were never good enough to kind of get um, into a lot of major finals. Is that a bit unfair in international football? You've got likes of um, Dejan Stankovic holds a record for playing for three different countries at the World Cup finals. You know, um, it was like Serbia, Serbia and Montenegro and Yugoslavia, but it's got a technicality. But you've got the Williams brothers at this World Cup, one's playing for Ghana, one's playing for Spain. You know, the, the Botang uh, brothers, are kind of half-brothers, they, they played against each other back in uh, 2014, Germany against Ghana. Is it getting to the stage, do you think there's people out there who have no time for international football? And is it really, is it even relevant anymore to have international football when borders are changing and when the best teams in the planet are really are bought by the biggest clubs uh, in the planet? Is international football kind of relevant and do we actually need it anymore? For me, it's still relevant. Uh, for me, I think we need it. I think there's something a bit unique and a bit special about, you know, the best from a particular country going up against another country. Um, we all know about, you know, the Champions League is like, you know, the best club teams in Europe. Um, and then the Premier League, obviously, that's, you know, came to prominence since, you know, Sky put all the money in and stuff like that. Um, so they've obviously grown in popularity. But for me, I still think there's something quite special about the best in a country going up against another country. Um, and you're right, it's probably not fair that we judge individual players on what they do for the national team. I mean, even if you look at modern day, you've got, you know, Salah, who's most people would say is one of the one of the greatest players at the moment, you know, and, and he's not at this World Cup. You know, Haaland as well, another phenomenal player that's not at the World Cup. You know, Lewandowski, probably one of the best strikers of the modern day, but, you know, can't reach those kind of achievements for Poland just because, um, you know, the teammate the national team he plays in doesn't have that kind of quality of players. Um, so it's probably a bit unfair the way we kind of judge these players based on what they do. And on national level, you know, we all say oh, Messi needs to, to win it. The World Cup to go down is the greatest. Um, but, you know, is that fair? Because he's, you know, when he's at Barcelona, he's got Xavi and Iniesta and all these types next to him, but he's not quite got that same quality of Argentina. Um, but for me, it's still, it's still old relevance. I still can't turn off the tournaments to the Euros and the World Cup and the Copa America for me. I still I still love watching them. I still I just think there's something um quite special about, you know, the best from one country going up against another country. Um so for me it's still still something I enjoy and um hopefully it'll stick around for a, a long time yet. I am. I'm quite addicted to it myself. I, I think um, it's like a kind of lingua franca. It's a, it's a way countries kind of, kind of talk to each other. I know it ends up being, you know, there's been wars started between countries that are, you know, the football kind of exacerbated them. Uh, but generally, I still have great hope that, that football kind of unites more people than, they, yeah. than it, it kind of breaks up or antagonises. And for me, it's kind of went full circle. When I was a kid, I'm doing that old man thing. It was like, oh, you only get so many live games in the telly and there was very few foreign players, you know, or non, non kind of British Isles players um, on the telly in British football. In, in the club scene. So it was always great in a World Cup because you got to see like different makers of kits and yeah. different styles of football and what have you. And it's almost like with the Champions League, the deregulation of television rights and what have you, you can now watch the best players in the world all the time. You know, you, you've got it. If you've got your BT, you, you've got your Prime, um, you've got Sky Sports, you can see this. You can see any team playing uh, anytime you like uh, and you can see the best players in the world. 
but it's almost going to come full circle in that I so I didn't like to see them going back to being in their own country, you know, yeah. in, in, in the Euros, the Copa America, you know, I even like, what I, I love watching the Africa Cup of Nations and stuff like that. It's yeah. great to see people in the kind of supposed kind of home environment. I know there's a lot of players, that, yeah. you know, French-born players playing from Morocco and vice versa. Yeah. Um, but it's it's good to watch. Sorry, mate. The other thing that, you know, we've seen this World Cup that it does that the club game just can't do is it unites a country. You know, we've seen that with, with Morocco and the celebrations over there, even even um, the USA as well, we've seen the celebrations over there, and we've seen that you know throughout this World Cup, um, when when teams win, they you know usually you'll get the news reports so will be in, in that country, and you'll see the celebrations in the streets, and that's something that I think club football just just can't quite reach, is that kind of level of you know uniting a nation, um, behind that kind of cause, even especially in these countries where football is maybe not the most dominant sport, but for that kind of period, you know, I'm thinking like some Australia, you know, for that that period of the World Cup when they had did better than what they expected, you know, it seemed, it seemed to unite everyone and it kind of generates a bit more interest in the sport as well. Um, so I think that's kind of the effect that these tournaments have that you can't quite replicate in, uh, in club football. That's a great point. I just think of myself, the, the other side of that is like, I'm not exactly the world's biggest tennis fan, but when Andy Murray was getting yeah. close to winning Wimbledon. It was I was like a man possessed. I just absolutely infatuated with it. So I, I think it brings in people that are not, and I hate. To be honest, I'm, I'm miserable. Get I hate that when it's like tourists, people who don't really know their football and all that, you know. And I'm like, I've been paying money to watch this, but it was rubbish. And suddenly they've <laughs> qualified for something you don't celebrate. But it is, it's, it's, it, is, it can be a great thing, you know. And I think there's a lot of bitterness towards the Scottish national team uh, just now. A lot of reasons you can find, you know, for. For, for, for hating Scotland or whatever, or thinking Scotland hate you, you know, particularly as a Rangers supporter, there's been a lot of bad stuff going on uh, towards our players. But I think if we get more Rangers players in the Scotland team and they do well, that's that's the number one way of winning people over, you know, yeah. and shutting up these kind of divisions. And I think if Scotland can do better and get into more tournaments and, and, and say bring out that kind of thing, people don't care. People don't people don't go about saying I've not watched enough Scotland games, I shouldn't be celebrating. They just go and they go, I'm I'm Scottish. My team is that's that's my national team winning, and they'll go in the street and they'll celebrate with a guy from another club that supports another club, yeah. or whatever. It's, yeah, it's a great thing, you know. We, we better talk about uh, Morocco against Portugal. I missed a bit of that on Saturday because I was uh, watching uh, Rangers. Uh, it was quite, quite a strange thing in the middle of a World Cup. I'm away watching Rangers at Ibrox. That's a first. But um, I get back just in time to see the final whistle and the mad celebrations. I've watched bits of it back. Um, were you more impressed? Uh, by the North Africans, you know, by Morocco getting into uh, the semi-final, are we disappointed by Portugal? I think after the the previous game uh, with Portugal, when they kind of you know were so impressive, and I think everyone sort of expected a repeat of that, I was quite disappointed with, with how they performed. But you know, you can't not be impressed with what Morocco have done in this tournament. Um, I think the managers rightfully and you know loads of praise for the way he set the team up in terms of the organisation um, of that team. Um, and I think, am I right in saying he hadn't had long with the, with the team when he joins that? Am I, am I right in saying he joined not long before no, the World Cup? No, because, I mean, I think he, he won the, the, the African, was it the African Champions League, I think, um, where a Moroccan club perhaps, maybe, I think they, they beat an Egyptian club uh, in the final. So I don't think he's been in the job that long. I couldn't tell you exactly how long, but it's, it's not been that long, no. Yeah, so I think the job he's done has been phenomenal. And that's what that's one of the things I love about the World Cup. You know, how many people would have predicted Morocco getting to a semi-final? Um, you know, it's you just you know, you can't write it. It's it's great to see, I think, 
you know, in terms of for Portugal, as disappointed as they'll be, they do have some really good players coming through, I think. We're all kind of thinking that that'll be Ronaldo's last appearance. I think with that kind of shadow kind of lifted from the, the national team, I think they could go on to bigger and better things in terms of the, the youngsters they've got coming through. Um, if they give them time to kind of nourish and, and settle in, I think they could go on and, and do big things. Certainly the Euros will be um, keen to watch out for them. Um, there was... I'm sure Ronaldo will be disappointed for the way it ended for him, but I think um yeah, I think Morocco were, were well worth well worth their win. Uh, Portugal just seemed to panic a bit when they when they went one down and they kinda of brought on Ronaldo very early. I think they brought him on in like the fiftieth minute and thought that's a bit early to be kind of abandoning plan A and going to plan B. Um yeah, but I thought Morocco were well worth their win. And um yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing how, how they perform in the final. It's almost it's almost like you don't want to have too big a win in this World Cup, you know. Like Morocco, no nils, Croatia had no nils, you know, and then they end up they're still in the tournament when it in the final stages. But like so, Spain won seven 0 it all went south of them after that. And this Portugal, where they were just looking like dark horses as they usually are, they win six one against the Swiss in the last sixteen, and then bang, they can't even get a, the one goal that would save them. The Portugal, they're starting to kind of almost annoy me. Uh, Brian, when they won the Euros, they finally won a major trophy, you know, and only their second major final. They lost the Euros when they were the hosts in 2004. They lost the final uh, that time. But I thought they've only been in the semi-finals of the World Cup. An amazing football nation. Again, not a massive population, but they've got, you know, Porto, Benfica, and that winning European Cups and Champions Leagues. Uh, that They're frequently, they kind of slip into being the fifth best league uh, in, the, in the kind of UEFA coefficient uh, rankings. And they've got fant- fantastic players at all the best clubs you know, in the world, Man City, especially just now, Man United. Fernandez hits the post, it hits the bar straight after they score, straight after um, Morocco take the lead with it, and again, the high ball in the box, a kind of Malik Tillman type header for the fella. Um, but after that, they seem to spend a lot of time just like trying to pressure the officials, try to win penalties, you know, when the, the fella gets sent off for Morocco, it was Fernandez was right up there telling the ref, oh, that's his second yellow. Are, are they concentrating more on the kind of cynical side of the game than the actual skill that they've all obviously got? What, what, what is going wrong for Portugal? I mean, I suppose when you've got Pepe in your team, that shouldn't be a surprise. <laughs> That's a, um, a big Brazilian Pepe, yeah. <laughs> but I think when you see Pepe's comments after the game, you know, he was talking about whether well, the referees are Argentinian and try, trying to start some sort of conspiracy theory. I think that kind of tells you that they are kind of concentrating a bit too much on that kind of cynical side of the game rather than just, you know, letting their talented players shine through. You know, they've got some some really top-class players um, in there. And, but, yeah, I think they were just concentrating a bit too much on, you know, the kind of the, the cynical side and trying to win, you know, kind of fills that maybe weren't fills or trying to get players booked and sent off and stuff like that. And really, if they'd have just sort of played their game and... Um, tried to kind of replicate that performance there against the Swiss, then they probably would have got that one goal, which would have potentially saved them and got them extra time. And um, and then they could have went through. But yeah, I think it, feel, it feels a bit, like, a bit like an end of an era for Portugal with Ronaldo. That's probably his last game now, but also potentially the beginning of a new era. You know, they've got some good young players coming through. We've seen the um, Gonzalo Ramos against Swiss scoring a hat-trick. You know, I'm sure he'll play a big part in the future. Um, so there'll be an interesting one to watch going forward. I think Pepe 
surely he's got to retire now at 40. Um, you would think. Um, so it'll be interesting to see them at the, the Euros in terms of how they progress there. I think um, Santos, the manager's potentially looking like he might be replaced as well. Um, so that'll be interesting. Um, but yeah, hopefully when they get to the Euros, they'll get some of their, they kind of let their football do the talking a bit more. I, I, and, and talking about Ronaldo, I thought he was it was it was quite graceless the way he just walked straight off the park, you know. And I don't know, I never really believed the tears of Ronaldo. It looked like he's just again he's trying to make it all about himself. We've got the first ever African nation getting into the the semi-finals. I'm not expecting the guy to be delighted about it um, if it's his team that's get beat. But what did you make of the the way? We don't know yet if that's him retiring from international football. We'd probably try to hang on for five caps to get his two hundredth uh, cap or whatever. But uh, what did you think uh, about him and the way he kind of left the park at the end? I think it was just a bit typical of the Ronaldo that we've seen in recent years and that it's it's all got to be about him. Um, I think, you know, if you look at the interview that he did with Piers Morgan, it's all it's all about him and it's the Ronaldo show. And I think, yeah, I think it's pretty typical of what we've seen. He's not had the best couple of years in terms of football-wise um, with the clubs he's been at. He seems to have been kind of left under a cloud at Juventus and then he came back to Man U and that was supposed to be the big return and, you know, leading them back to a Premier League and I think people were forgetting he was, you know, however many years older than what he was the first time around and he wasn't quite at that level and again, he made it all about him. He seems to be a player that's struggling with his own kind of mortality almost and he's, he's not quite, you know, Messi's sort of ageing gracefully and Ronaldo's kind of not, he's really struggling with that whole, you know, not being able to do what he used to do, you know, 10 years ago kind of thing. And the fact that he's not, you know, the be-all and end-all now, um, I think he's really struggling with that. Um, you know, in terms of his football career, you can't really argue with it. He's won almost everything there is to win. Um, and undoubtedly, he's been one of the best. So I suppose for that point of view, most people will see it as a disappointing way to go out. But it was a shame that kind of in, in the final moments he sort of made it all about him again. Right, I couldn't I couldn't help put it together with um, his greatest moment in the international stage, uh, or what should have been in his eyes, and it's when when Portugal actually won the Euros, and he gets injured early doors in the game, and he then dis- decides I'll make it all about me by just yeah, standing next just... to Santos on the touchline and basically try to outmanage the manager. You know, and if people say, oh, that's great, he's out there, what a great teammate and what have you. He was trying to take over. He knew they were going to yeah. win this thing. And he's yeah. like, how can I make it all about me despite the fact I've been injured? Yeah. You know, um, and to me, it's a total no-no. I mean, I don't care what level of football you play. You, just, you, you always shake hands uh, with your opponents at the end. Or uh, a real class guy like uh, Messi, you go right up to the opposition manager and uh, <laughs> slag the shit out of him. <laughs> it was absolutely hilarious. Um, that was that was a proper NTA game, wasn't it? The, the, yeah. I remember the Argentinians losing the quarterfinal in penalties to Ger- uh, to Germany in 2006, and they started a Rami uh, with the Germans because they'd get beat. So this is them winning a quarterfinal, and they started a Rami uh, with the Dutch. So it just shows you they don't they don't care. It doesn't matter what the result is. They'll always behave exactly the same. The Argentinians, absolutely class. We better talk about France against England, mate. Um, England go out in penalties uh, yet again, or a penalty, uh, as the case may be. Big obsession of mine, as I say, um, the the mentality, you know, compared to the Croats, what they do in these in these matches. Harry Kane being unable, people are saying it was out psyching him, out vibing him because he had to face Hugo Lloris's teammate twice. Does that sum up the fact that teams for the British Isles international sides we've got 
just don't have the mental aptitude, just not the mental attitude uh, to win major international tournaments. I mean, possibly, I think it's kind of like you were saying, you know, you've kind of got to get close to then go and win it. And England haven't really gotten close in recent years. Um, although they got to the semi-final of the World Cup last time, but they've, they've not got that kind of track record over, you know, the last two or three World Cups of, of kind of getting that close and then going on and winning it. Um, I do wonder how much, you know, coming up against these club teammate played a part in that second penalty or how much it was just just the pressure of the whole situation. Just just faced anybody facing, facing the same goalie twice to take a yeah, penalty. Just, yeah, just that whole kind of pressure. He, he knew that this was the one chance. You know, they hadn't created a lot from open play. They didn't really look like scoring from open play. Although they did have good periods in the game, they dominated for a lot in the second half, but I still didn't think they looked like creating an awful lot during open play. So I think that was probably in his mind that this is our one chance to get back into the game and potentially get it to extra time and then penalties and then see where it goes from there. Um, so, yeah, I think it was a real pressure penalty that just got to him. Um, and, you know, Kane himself, he's not he's not got that track record of winning loads of trophies. You know, you kind of need to, to have that kind of, to build that sort of mentality. You need to have been through the course of winning at club level as well. He's not really got that. Um, so you wonder if that kind of showed a bit there as well. Um, I mean, overall, I find it difficult to criticise England in this game because I thought generally they played some decent stuff. They had, you know, the French on the ropes in the second half, I thought, even though they weren't, they didn't look like creating loads of chances, but I thought they had the better uh, the play at times in the second half. You know, Maguire had that header that just shaved the post. Um, you know, I thought the, the game plan everybody talked about Mbappe versus Walker, I thought Mbappe was pretty quiet. He had the one run against Walker when he got past him. Um, but apart from that, Mbappe was pretty quiet in the game. I thought Walker marshaled him well. Um, but I think ultimately, kind of the Frenchies kind of nouse is what got it for them in terms of they've, they've been over the course, they've won it before, they've got that kind of inbuilt you know, mentality. They've, they're a team of absolute winners in terms of Griezmann, Giroud, Mbappe, Dembele, you know, they've all been over the course and won things both at international and club level. Um, and I think that's what, what really got them to the to the win in the end. Right. For basically for basically the last kind of quarter of a century, every team who's won the World Cup have gone out the following World Cup either in the group stage or in the quarterfinals. So that was a massive thing they did the other the other day just just, just to win that game. Um I probably am being unfair on England. Um but I, it's because of my hang-up. I just I feel as if Scotland always do a kind of a watered-down version of whatever England do. We've always followed them in international terms. You know, they were always getting to quarterfinals where we were always just kind of qualifying and, and so forth. But England won the World Cup, of course, we were the first team to beat them and that made us unofficial world champions, all that kind of nonsense. Um, but if you look at, I'm talking about Croatia, always going behind in these games and then winning them. England, I've been talking about how they, the reason I was kind of thinking they might do it this time was they'd uh, finished, um, Fourth at the 2018 World Cup, you know, uh, third at the the Nations League finals in 2019, then second at the last Euros. But in all the games where they lost, where they, when it finally came to an end, you know that uh, you know the, the semi final against Croatia in 2018, they took an early lead. Same against who was it Holland? I think the, the Netherlands they played in the uh, the semi finals of the Nations League. They took they took the lead, the lead and then like uh, Shaw scores against Luke Shaw scores like, really early against Italy in the Euros final. But they can't see it through. It's almost like they don't have the, 
you know, they, they kind of do that game management thing that I'm talking about with the, with the Croats. Almost it gets yeah. too much for them. You know, but you, you're absolutely spot on. You look at with France, the, Mbappe gets shackled. England did a good job in Mbappe, but then Giroud and Griezmann. I thought everybody's talking about how are the French going to cope with Harry Kane. This thing where he drops back now. Griezmann did that even better. You know, he's been yeah. he's absolutely phenomenal. Giroud was phenomenal, and you've got like Kante and Pogba are missing. They were injured before the tournament even started. Uh, they lost Lucas Hernandez. You know, he's, he's the Bayern Munich left back. They lost him to injury during the tournament, and they replaced him with his brother, who's a left back for AC Milan. You know, and then they've got a, you know we're talking about the shackled Mbappe. You get a 22 year old who plays you know I think defensive mid for Real Madrid scoring that a uh, phenomenal first goal. I don't think England can do anything about that first goal yeah. the other night. You know they could have tried to shut it down, but it was just what an what a, a amazing shot. Do this the kind of depth of squad now, Brian? France just just kind of be beaten. I think they've got they've definitely got the best squad the teams left in the tournament. Now whether or not they'll go on and win it, I still think there's something about making that Argentina team that I can just see them. I can just see him dragging them to the um to the trophy. Um so it'll be interesting. Um, but they've definitely got the best squad, you know, even the players that don't make the starting line up Kingsley Coleman, he's a he's a phenomenal player, you know, Bayern Munich player, phenomenal. Um and he, he comes on as a sub. And that, that just shows you, you know, the real depth of squad that they've got. Um so the yeah, they've definitely got the best squad, um, you know, as you read seven and a brilliant kind of Indian summer of his career. Um, you know, he never scored a goal at the last uh, World Cup when they won it. I don't think now he's now he can't stop scoring. Um, and Griezmann sort of almost sacrificed himself in a way for the team in terms of he's playing that kind of midfield number ten stroke number eight role, and he's playing it brilliantly. He's kind of running games and he's just you know sitting there picking passes and kind of controlling the tempo of games. Um, so he's another one that's really come into form in that in that new position that he's been been given with you know Pogba and Kante both out, um, and you know they've got um, Rabio who I think a lot of people kind of a bit of a joke figure for him. Um, a lot of people, but he's another one that's having real a really good tournament. Yeah. Um, next to Chouameni, who I think everyone knows is kind of one of the kind of bright up and coming stars, and obviously Real Madrid paid a lot of money for him, and that's the reason why. Um, Again, coming out of that Monaco school, you know, the same as, yeah. the same as Mbappe, you know. Uh, I think Mbappe wanted to miss out PSG and go straight to Real Madrid now. I think that's what he wants, wishes he'd done, yeah. but uh, his, his, mate's, his mate's done it. And I think uh, like Brazil had that same depth of squad as well. Um, maybe, you know, maybe arguable, but they seem to have much the same depth of squad. But like you're saying, they just don't seem to have that maturity. They don't have that nice, that kind of tournament uh, maturity. But this is the first time tournament maturity has worked um, to this level in, in, in quite a while. Um, at a holder getting through to the, the semi-final and I think I we look like we're on the cusp of seeing for the first time in 60 years uh, a team actually re- retain the World Cup only the, the third time it's ever happened we're on the semi-finals now Brian a quick preview of the semis I was going to do a whole thing about um, the Brazil I'm obsessed with Brazil 1950 uh, the fourth World Cup what they did with the semi-finals there it was a you know kind of four-team uh, group they set up instead of having a, a knockout uh, and as the World Cup concluded I'll go on about it at some point, but we'll, we'll bin it tonight. Look it up on Wikipedia, folks, if you want. It's absolutely fascinating uh, what happened in that uh, tournament, the, the, the way they the way they sorted out the last four. But um, getting into the semi-finals now, Brian, who do you think... First question, who do you actually want to see winning each semi-final and why? I'd like to see Argentina and France win just because I'd like to see an Argentina and France 
final, I think, out of the four semi-finalists we've got left, that's the final. I want to see, but it wouldn't surprise me if Croatia um, beat Argentina. I would be, to be honest, I'd be surprised if Morocco beat France, but, you know, the way they're playing and the kind of momentum they've got behind them, I guess you can never write them off. Um, but an Argentina-France final is, is what I want to see. Aye, aye. I think yeah, I have to give a big shout out to uh, Just Fontaine, who who's probably going to be watching this. Um, he scored the he scored thirteen goals in the nineteen fifty eight uh, World Cup, and the nineteen fifty eight he's scored the most goals of any Golden Boot winner um, in any World Cup finals, um, and he did it for France. And the thing is, he was born in Marrakesh, and he first played football for for Casablanca or a Casablancan club. Um, his dad was French and. France actually, you know, owned Morocco. Morocco was part of France uh, when he was born. So it's, this is going to be... He later managed Morocco as well, um, Just Fontaine. Um, and he also features in the movie Amelie. There's a picture of him uh, in that as well. Absolute legend. And he's he's still in the going. He's about 90 years old. Um, so this is going to be a derby, I think, the, the, the Just Fontaine derby uh, when, when France play Morocco. And, then, of course, the Moroccan manager, like a few of the Moroccan players, is, is, is French-born. I thought they were absolutely phenomenal, their organisation and their determination the other night, Brian. Um, they're really a, there's, like we've said before, they've almost taken over as a kind of host nation. There's an Arab nation yeah. and they're, they're converging. The, stadium, the, the noise we're making was absolutely phenomenal. Um, I've seen this kind of story before. I mean, the USA, that was around in 1930, you know, I was just a couple of years till I was born uh, back then. But the USA, the, 30 years before CONCACAF was even founded, they made the first ever semifinals uh, of a World Cup. Korea, South Korea made the semifinals of the 2002 World Cup, but it was in their uh, in their part of the world, in their country. You know, that was 20 years ago. They've not really done anything since. The USA are, are always in the cusp. You know, um, they were unlucky not to get the semis in uh, 2002 uh, as well. Do you think this... African team, though the commentator saying in ITV on uh, on Saturday they've, they've broken the glass ceiling. That's them. Do you actually think this is going to lead to any big, you know, kind of move by the African nations? They'll suddenly start kind of dominating or getting their fair share of World Cups in the future. I hope so because it'd be, it'd be great to see. You know, we're all aware of the phenomenal players that we've seen from the African nations. You know, Drogba's and players like that. You know, they do produce some some phenomenal players. So I hope. That this does kind of give them a bit of momentum to start reaching latter stages of World Cups, and um, because it'd be good to see, and you know, you can see from the, the stadiums, you know, that the fans absolutely, you know, you know they love it and they're right behind Morocco, and it kind of it brings a nice kind of a kind of different, I guess, a, just just a different feel to it all. You know, we're, um, the kind of the kind of first African nation to reach this stage, so it's. It's good. It's a nice. It's, it makes a nice change. Um, so I would. I'd like to see kind of more African nations get into the last stages. I think. I think we can definitely see um, from the, the amount of the Palestine flags that are floating about, and they're, they're, they're waving. They're quite happily waving the Qatar flag as well. Um, and they're they're doing their prayers at the end of the game. It's. I think they, they definitely see themselves more as a kind of Arab nation, or maybe a, a, a Muslim nation, uh, than they probably do as. An African nation, there's definitely, there's definitely huge cultural differences between the kind of Sahel, Maghreb uh, countries, and for example, Senegal, Cameroon, and Ghana, the other African uh, countries that have reached the, the the quarterfinals. But I think it's got, I think it's been amazing the atmosphere that they've brought. But I've seen it happening before with a host. Yeah. And I know they're not a host, but it's their part of the world get to the semi-finals. If they actually got to the final, not just because they're playing France, 
it would be earth shattering. It would be the biggest. It would yeah. be it, for me. It would be the biggest shock uh, of all time. And I feel it's a really it's a, a kind of small minded bitter thing to say, but I actually I love the World Cup as being the best tournament. You know, I think the Champions League in terms of football is now the best. You know, the hardest tournament to win uh, in the yeah. world with the best players there. But I th- would it actually cheapen the tournament? And I mean, we've got like England are the only nation, I think, to win the World Cup. England and Spain, the only nation to win the World Cups and no get back to a final. You know, it's always a team that ends up, it's got to start somewhere, the kind of dominance, but there's very few teams. I think Sweden were runners up in 58 and they've never been to another final before or, before or since. But usually teams have won their own continental competition a few times, have got to semis a few times and then there'll be in a few World Cup finals. Uh, this is Croatia looking at getting back to their second. Would it actually cheapen the tournament anyway if... Morocco suddenly turned up and, and won the World Cup. Well, I think it adds something. I think you know it's, it's good to have a different name on the trophy that we've not we've not seen before. I mean, I'll ask you this: did it did it cheapen the European Championships when Greece won it for you? Because yeah. that was kind of just as as much a shock. And for me, Morocco were a better team to watch than what Greece were back then. Um, so now I'm all for it. I'm um, I don't mind seeing a a different name on the trophy. Um, but just for the semi-final, I just I just want to see that Argentina France final. For me, that's um, that's my reason for wanting wanting France to win that one. I just want to see that Argentina France final. I think that's got all the makings of being a real a real classic final. Aye, and to be honest with you, yeah, that's a, that's a great point to make it because I absolutely loved it when Greece won uh, the Euros because it Otto Rehagel, famous German manager in charge of them, and it was just they were just going out there being defensive as hell and doing what they got to do. And it's that whole thing. I think we've been on the other side of that as Rangers fans, you know, when Celtic fans tell us, "Oh, you should play more open, attractive football." What they mean is open up and let us through you, yeah. you know. And I don't remember these same Celtic fans complimenting us over bravery when we get beat 7-1 after Liverpool. Um, so I, I, love, I always love it when I see a team just going out there and refusing to to bow to uh, these, this nonsense about aesthetics. When you're supporting a team, you just want them to win. And I thought Greece were absolutely phenomenal. And it's getting more difficult now because the, the, the tournaments, the Euros and the World Cup are both expanding to the point yeah. where that kind of shock is is getting harder, but um, uh, you're absolutely right. About it. I always like the Euros as a kind of a testing ground almost for the for the World Cup. Um, but I, uh, you know, you're, you're absolutely. I'm just being I'm just being miserable with that one. But um, so, do you think we're, we're talking about the political problems, or the human rights issues with this World Cup? But the football has got to a level. Do you think this has been, you know, in, in football terms, a classic World Cup? I think they're a really good one. Whether it's been a a classic people always at the end of every World Cup they'll always ask has this been the best World Cup and I always find it a bit kind of redundant to try and rank them I think this one's definitely football wise it's been a good World Cup the, the more interesting thing that I kind of wonder about is what effect has the World Cup been at this time of year had on the quality of football that we've seen just the fact that players you know most of the yeah, I say most a good a good portion of the players play in European leagues so they've come into the World Cup right you know, smack bang in the middle of the season. So they're not having that break. They're not feeling kind of overly jaded with playing, you know, 50, 60 games uh, for their club. They're kind of coming in probably at the peak of uh, fitness and sharpness. And I do wonder kind of what effect that's had on the on the World Cup. And I wonder if, you know, having it at this time of year and seeing that, you know, football-wise, it's, most people would say it's been a success. Does that open, you know, up for FIFA to do some more mad crazy stuff with World Cups in the future you can never rule anything out where FIFA are concerned um, but yeah I do wonder kind of 
what impact having the Winter World Cup's had on the quality of football. Aye, I think we better leave it there. I could talk about this all night. I think I think it's notable that uh, the fewer games that are involved, the more we're talking about. The longer the pods are going on <laughs> this this series of World Cup pods we're doing, Brian. I think that that definitely says something about the about the drama, anyway. Uh, if not the actual, if not the actual quality of the games. Uh, a bit of wrap it up there. Listen, folks, thanks very much for joining us again. Um, we're now the Rangers are playing again on Thursday night. The season, um, the domestic season's starting, so the the regular pods uh, have started uh, back. The boys were on last night Sunday. Um, Stuart and Colin and Doogie were having a great chat about uh, the the Bayer Leverkusen friendly and the AGM. That's that's uh, that's up there on my YouTube channel, what have you. So check that out on whatever platform you use. I'll be back. I think uh, on Wednesday for a preview uh, of the Hibs game, um, and that's us, that's us back generally. But Brian and myself will certainly be continuing with these pods until until the World Cup's over. Um, Brian, thanks very much for joining us. Was that one okay, mate? Thank you. Yep, another another very enjoyable discussion. That's it. We'll maybe get you back. We'll, we'll have a wee penalty shootout to decide who's going to host uh, the next one and, and who's going to be the guest. But uh, thanks very much for joining us, folks, and uh, I hope to talk to you again soon. Thank you. <laughs>